Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Alongside Chris Dorch of Blue Ribbon, I'm Kevin Ingram. Great to have you with us as always. Coming up on today's show, we're going to visit with Tom Leach, the longtime voice of the Kentucky Wildcats. So looking forward to uh, visiting with Tom here in just a few minutes. Chris, what's going on? I know you're uh, staying busy during this uh, quote-unquote off-season for basketball. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just got done with my son's Chattanooga Film Festival. I'm the quote-unquote assistant director. I do actually handle some things uh, like our student filmmaker block and our Tennessee filmmaker block, but I also kind of just keep him from going bonkers. <laughs> it's really kind of controlled chaos, and we yeah. like it that way. Kind of ramshackle, but uh, it's starting starting to gain some notoriety. It's on several best-of lists of festivals around the world, uh, what they call genre festivals, which I still don't understand that term. Uh, every films a genre film right i mean i would think but it's supposed to mean sort of like horror or science fiction or whatever but we're a lot more than that sure and my son is as you know you've met him and uh he's a film historian and film lover so it's a lot of fun we had to do it uh, virtually again but we had this discord server and it was almost like we were in person people were on that all the time there were different chat rooms for every film and we had a lobby where people hung out and we had watch parties, so we approximated the on-the-ground uh, scenario as best we could, and it's actually the third year in a row we've done it virtually, and it's actually kind of cool that way, a lot, lot less work, and as I told, uh, I was joking on our award show, I told my son, doing it virtually, um, there's a lot less chance for to incur serious injury, <laughs> <laughs> which we we had some people get cut and 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 smashed and had their stuff stolen oh, almost man. get hit by cars it's just hustle bustle but uh, a lot of fun and you know it's mainly indie films and it's great to see young filmmakers uh kind of get make their way in the world what's going on with blue ribbit i know it's a busy time of year for uh the the book so uh give us the update there yeah um thanks for asking um you know i'm so many people have asked me over the years uh, to try to get the book out earlier. So I seized the opportunity this year. I changed printers, and my new printer is, is very good, very reasonably priced, but they take a little bit longer than my old printer for the process. So I thought in order to get the book out earlier uh, for the people that really want it and need it, I'd I roll back my deadlines two weeks. So, you know, usually at this point, we might be just getting started on some things. I mean, I'm knee deep into it. Uh, I've already written seven stories. Uh, I've interviewed nine coaches. I'm going to interview Steve Forbes today for my 10th. Uh, we've already got the cover art underway. We've already picked our top 25 teams, although not the order and our All-American team. So, you know, you can hustle it up when you have to, and mm -hmm. I think it's going to be a great book as always. What really makes it all possible, Kevin, as you know, uh, in the past it was such a joke. The NCAA, NCAA wouldn't let college basketball coaches work with their players in the summer. And you'd always hear these lines when you – the same quote uh, when you'd interview a coach, yeah, the, the the kids say so and so is looking great in pickup games. Like that's silly on for two things. One, you know the coach is watching those right. pickup games, and two, 
it's ridiculous that all they could do was pick up games. Now I've been to a couple of practices for, for teams and uh, now they can do everything. It's, it's just limited in terms of hours, but they can have full practices and individual workouts. It makes for a better game. And for us, you know, players, there's several coaches who have seen their players now for five or six weeks. So yeah. we can actually start to do our work in June and coaches have a really good idea of what they're going to have. Uh, the transfer portal, of course, has been uh, usually our top story on our podcast. Anybody left of note that has not made a decision that, that you've uh, kind of come across or, or any notables that have made decisions since we last spoke? Well, the notables that have, and I checked the date to make sure this is accurate. Uh, our last podcast was the 15th, and Pete Nance of Northwestern transferred to North Carolina on uh-huh. the 18th. And I think he's a difference maker. Uh, I read a piece in the athletic. It says he's basically no Brady Manic and he, he's not, I, I mean, but he's, he's a six ten guy that, that shot 46% from three last year. He's a good high post passer. He can score in the pick and roll and, you know, he, could he do some things better? Yeah. Maybe guard a little better, rebounded a little more prolifically, but heck he's about to join Armando Baycott, the double, double machine. So I don't think getting boards is going to be like critically uh, important for him. But what he gives is somebody to replace Brady Manick as that fifth guy in the starting lineup. And Hubert Davis has already said he doesn't want to play five guys anymore, and he won't have to. They had a really good recruiting class in addition to Pete Nance and some returning veterans. So, But he was a big one, the probably the biggest that was still left on the board. Another kid named Emmanuel Acott transferred from Boise State to Memphis. Memphis really lost a lot of guys, and Lester Quinones, uh, who stayed in the NBA draft, was the final straw. They had to have another guard. Penny still has four scholarships to fill, I think. They lost Tyler Harris, Landers Nolly, Imani Bates, and Quinones. Um, so so ACOT is a 6'8", 210, former five-star prospect. Uh, he's a guy that can play multiple positions, defend multiple positions, Decent three-point shooter. So I think he'll really be an asset. As far as who's still out there, Imani Bates, who left Memphis, is still out there. And the word is, and it was verified by his father, that he's been hanging around on campus still. You know, he's he's in the portal, but he won't go away. Yet Penny says he hasn't spoken with him. So what's he going to do? Nobody seems to know for sure. Louisville and Eastern Michigan are still in the hunt. But it's funny, uh, Monday I was interviewing Richie Riley, the coach from South Alabama, and I was getting him to tell me about a couple of transfers, and he mentioned, oh, yeah, and and this guy is named Judah Brown. I said, wait a minute, I don't have him on my list. And he says, oh, yeah, we just signed him yesterday. (laughs) It's June 26th, and his comment to me was, you know, if you've been in the portal for a minute and you haven't – announced your decisions, you kind of get overlooked. And this kid, Judah Brown, he's 6'6", 220. He played at St. Mary's, which is a either a top 25 or fringe top 25 uh, veteran team ahead of him. A really good player, but just there was no way with COVID returnees he was going to play much. So he transfers to South Alabama where he can play. And Richie's really got a good team down there. And he's taken, I think, uh, five transfers, including three from Division Two, 
which is another interesting phenomenon. I've written yeah. about that on our newsletter. So, uh, yeah, still a lot of activity going there. That's why verbal commits is one of my daily uh, pit stops uh, on the web. Since we also uh, last spoke, the SEC Big 12 matchups for the uh, SEC Big 12 Challenge and also for the ACC Big 10, uh, those have been announced. Uh, highlights from SEC Big 12, Kansas at Kentucky, Arkansas at Baylor, Texas at Tennessee, uh, Alabama, Oklahoma, Auburn at West Virginia, Florida at Kansas State, Texas Tech at LSU, Ole Miss at Oklahoma State, TCU at Mississippi State, Iowa State at Missouri. Uh, the SEC has won five of the last six years uh, that they have uh, faced off in those meetings. As for the ACC and Big Ten, North Carolina at Indiana is certainly the headliner there. Ohio State at Duke sounds like a good one. Virginia at Michigan. Rutgers, Miami, Michigan State at Notre Dame. The Big Ten has won the last three in that series. Uh, they won 8-6 to six last season. So uh, a few of the highlights, uh, th- those are always a lot of fun when they do those, usually uh, around you know, sometime mid-January or so to break up the conference schedule a little bit. I think the ACC of Big Ten may get started a little bit earlier, but uh, some interesting matchups, as always, when you look at those two series of games. Yeah, the ACC Big Ten is always near the end of November, early December. And you're right, I like a lot of the matchups. Syracuse at Illinois intrigues me because Illinois has really fortified itself from the portal, and and it signed another international big kid yesterday. So – Looking forward to that. Virginia at Michigan is another one that, that could be interesting. Our buddy Steve Forbes takes Wake Forest at, to Wisconsin. No easy place to win. And, of course, all the others that you named. SEC, now they they literally do break up their conference season. They play theirs on January 28th. Uh, uh, Big, Big 12 actually only has 10 teams, so not every SEC team gets to take part. Uh, but – I like some of the matchups. Arkansas at Baylor really intrigues me. Auburn at West Virginia. We'll see how well Bruce Pearl has retooled. Uh, and, and I, West Virginia obviously is a difficult place to play. And then the traditionals, Kansas and Kentucky. Seems like Texas versus Tennessee is going to be a thing. Yeah. And Iowa State at Missouri I think will be key. And I really think the Mississippi schools will hold the key to whether SEC wins that. Uh, again, Ole Miss plays at Oklahoma State. I talked to Kermit Davis yesterday. He really, really likes his team, which was injury-wracked last year. And then TCU, which is going to come in, you know, in the top 25 preseason, is going to play at Mississippi State, where Chris Jans now coaches. And he's one of the best quick-change artists in college basketball. Turns things around wherever he is. Well, he didn't really have to at New Mexico State, but he kept it going at a high level, which is to his credit. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how those matchups play out. But you're right, they're a great diversion from conference play and uh, or a great preview to conference play in the case of Big Ten. Well, Chris, uh, our guest this week is a guy we love having on our podcast. He's visited with us uh, several times over the years. He is Tom Leach, the voice of the Kentucky Wildcats. Tom, how you doing, man? Doing well. Just uh, marking the time through the summer. I always get start to get a little bored around July. I'm ready to get back to football. Yeah, do you, do you start making your football charts around this time of year? Actually, I'll have to start making basketball charts first because we have four games in the Bahamas this right. year. That's right. That's right. A lot of I, I've been talking to a lot of coaches, uh, uh, and there a ton of people are going to the Bahamas this year. I, I mean, it's obviously an attractive place, but uh, that's become a, a much more organized uh, place or venue to play games. 
Uh, Tom, we wanted to bring you on. I, I wish it could be under better circumstances, but with the, pra- uh, the passing of Mike Pratt, it had to be like losing a brother for you. What a great guy. Uh, I don't know if you got to read the piece in, by Kyle Tucker in The Athletic, but basically mm-hmm. talking about how he and Danny Issel were roommates at the beginning of their Kentucky careers. And he said, I must have been the only guy in the world that couldn't get along with Mike Pratt. And eventually they got a radio show together, and obviously we're dear friends. But Mike is a guy that never met a stranger, wasn't he? No, it's very true. That's what I, I tell people. He knew everybody. Um his stories were much better than mine. So if I do talks, that's kind of steal. I've always stolen his stories. Um, <laughs> he and uh, Mike Casey uh, were ended up after he and Issel didn't, didn't work as roommates. Uh, he and Mike Casey ended up being roommates and uh, were uh, uh, best friends also. Um, but yeah, Mike, um, you know, th- th- last week with the draft um, would have been a time I would have talked to him quite a bit because you know, he, he talked to – I never paid any attention to the mock drafts because of him because I knew who he was talking to. And he was talking to guys who were in the rooms, and he, he got the best info. Um, so he could, you know, talk to everybody. And he, he was just comfortable with everybody. And um, I told somebody uh, – and one of the many people who reached out to, to talk about it um, – told uh, somebody that the thing with Mike is he talked uh, with you and not to you. Right. So it was just, you know, he, he knew more about basketball than about anybody he was talking to, uh, certainly any of us in the media. But you never felt that way. He was kind of giving you his take and then listening to yours. Tom, I I, uh, I, I don't even know how you re- replace someone like that. Uh, how do you replace the irreplaceable? Yeah, it's the tough spot when you have to whoever ends up getting the call to to follow a you know legendary figure. Uh, you know, Mike's been doing that twenty years. Uh, as I guess, uh, I think Ralph Hacker did it with Kaywood for about twenty years. So, yeah. um, uh, but you know, with Mike also you know passing, it just makes it uh, you know a challenge for whoever follows him um, because he was kind of the the quintessential guy for that job, having played here. Uh, you know, staying close to the program, all of that. Uh, there are some guys uh, that uh, I suspect they'll be looking at that uh, have, have played here and have some of the same things they bring to the table. And hopefully everybody will just, whoever it is, will give them, you know, time to kind of grow into the job because, you know, I was fortunate. Uh, Ralph followed Kaywood, so I got to follow the guy that followed the legend. Right. You know, Bob Kessler yeah. down in Tennessee yeah. had to be immediately after John Ward. That's, yeah. that's the toughest spot to be in. Sure. No question. Uh, Tom, no question. When, when I saw you last winter, uh, we, we talked a little bit about the, the book that you guys did. How, how fun was it to write that and just remember a lot of fun stories, you know, from games and road trips and all those things over the years? So glad that we did that. In 2020, after the season ended abruptly, and later that summer, Mike reached out and uh, said, you know, we're coming up on 20 years. I'm probably only going to do this a few more years anyway. Why don't we do a book? And I'm so glad that he did because the way we ended up doing it, I didn't, when, when we, when he came to me with the idea, it was getting close to starting football season. And so it was not the, the best time to take on that project, but I wanted to, uh, to, to do the, the project with him. So I thought, well, what's the, the, uh, the best way to do this to make it workable from a time management standpoint. And so we ended up just taking each season uh, and we do a, you know, 45 minutes, an hour conversation of 
just memories of that season. And we, you know, you do one, one or two at a time, um, and then do that over a period of several weeks, months, and then, um, talk, we did a chapter on how he came to play at Kentucky and some of our favorite, you know, characters that we've encountered around the program and all those kinds of things. Um, you know, a list of favorite restaurants and all that. And, um, then my wife, uh, we hired her to transcribe it all. And then I just kind of wrote it as a, an audio history. So it was sure. easy to write. And uh, I think it, it worked well for what we were doing because uh, we were able to kind of take the readers along just for the sitting in the room for the conversation. But for me, and especially now with him passing, it's wonderful to um, go back and you know be able to have those interviews. One thing I find as I get a little older is that it's easier to remember stuff that happened 25, 30 years ago than it is to remember <laughs> stuff that happened this last season. Do you, do you find that to be the so case? True. That, you know, and the same thing oh, when, when you went to do the book? Oh, yeah. We had to have – there's uh, several files on my computer that are – I forget how I label them. Basically, it was, you know, we – you know, towards the end, we were like, oh, yeah, Mike was said Or I'd think, we need to go back to that – you know, 2010 season or something else we forgot to talk about. And so we, you know, do a, an addendum uh, to that chapter. And there were several of those where something came up uh, later or maybe in the conversation you came across something that's like, I need to research that a little bit and then we'll, yeah. we'll catch back up on that. Uh, moving to latter-day Kentucky hoops, I understand that Antonio Reeves, the Illinois State transfer, has been mighty impressive in summer workouts. Have you been hearing that? I have. I'm hoping to get over and watch them actually here sometime in the next week or so. Um, but uh, yeah, he uh, is a guy that I had a guy on my radio show today that does a lot of the uh, analytics. And he said one thing that we're, uh, Reeves stood out last year. He was one of the top guys in the country at uh, coming off the pick and roll. And yeah. so with a guy like Oscar uh, could come out and set that, you know, middle, middle pick and uh, let, you know, Reeves get downhill off that. And so if you, you, know, you have to respect Reeves. You got Oscar on the roll. You got guys on the wing, and uh, that could be you know make Kentucky uh, more effective in you know late shot clock situations where they weren't uh, particularly strong last year, especially after guys got hurt um, and some guys with with bad wheels. Um, so that'll be a key is to keep keep guys healthy, get some good luck there. But uh, I like the look of of the team and. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting these games down in the Bahamas to see what, how Cal pl- plays combinations together and then what he learns out of that because, uh, you know, Oscar is going to be at the five and Savir is going to be at the one. And I think Wallace will be very likely starting at the two. And um, so then you've got, you know, what do you do at the four? You know, probably Toppin and Collins. Could you use Livingston in there a little bit? And then, You've also got then Livingston and Frederick and uh, who else am I missing to work in out on the outside? Um, and how do you, and Livingston, how do you deploy those guys and how do you mix and match those one through three spots? One mainly being Wheeler, but, you know, Wallace backs him up when he's doing that. Who's at the two and the three? So uh, I think that's going to be really interesting to watch down in the Bahamas. Is this the most veteran Wildcat team in Cal's tenure, do you think? When you consider Oscar yeah. and they, they and, were pretty good last year with Grady and Mintz. Um, that's right. Yeah. But Wheeler's a year older. Uh, yep. You know, uh, CJ Frederick's you know, been around for like 10 years. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
you know, so you've got really two freshmen that you'll uh, figure to count heavily on where last year was, you know, I think they probably were, were thinking slash hoping that there'd be a second freshman that they leaned on more heavily and Collins just wasn't ready physically. Um, so you just had Ty Ty that was your main guy out of that uh, freshman group and Hopkins, you know, uh, didn't uh, claim a spot either. Whereas this year, I'll be surprised if Wallace and Livingston aren't in that top eight. Tom, how can Oscar Shibwe be even more impactful this upcoming season after just a remarkable year they had last season? Yeah, I don't know that he can. Uh, uh-huh. I mean, that was pretty incredible to all those double doubles. Um, I just think you know you hope that he can have similar impact and if he draws more attention from other people then that opens something for somebody else you know if his scoring average drops a, a point point and a half or something but somebody else it's, it's opening up something for somebody else the way he rebounded it's hard to imagine that you're going to keep him away from getting double figure rebounds most sure. nights um but again if they if they pay so much attention to him because of that then fine that opens up an opportunity for somebody else that's the the thing with with Oscar, it'll be more more than numbers. Is just you know how how the team is because I think you know he he will have good numbers, but does he draw so much focus that it opens up something for somebody else? And the thing with Oscar that we'll be watching is I'm sure Cal will try to you know Oscar came back uh, when he could have certainly gone to the NBA, right? And he's hoping to be in a position where he could play himself into the first round. And you know uh, there are some things he could improve on to do that like being able to, to shoot a little further out and he would make you know there were, i remember the duke game to start he was turning down wide open 15 footers so they really worked with him to uh get confidence in that shot and he did for most of the year and then he kind of i think lost maybe a little bit of confidence at the end of the year so i think they would love to have him just be really comfortable to be able to pick and pop for a 15 to 17 footer you know if he takes threes it'll be pretty rare i would think you know, maybe they'll let him shoot once in a while, you know, but uh, I think mostly it's going to be trying to get pr- more proficient at that, you know, elbow jumper or just inside the, the key where he, uh, and maybe being able to then, you know, if a guy, if he makes a guy to come out and play him to be able to then drop by a, a player and get, uh, get to the rim that way. So um, I think, you know, he'll try to add some of those things to his game, I would think. Uh, but you know, it's it, it, the numbers that he put up. It's it, it'll be hard to uh, get uh, too much better than those, I would think. Tom, to uh, to finish up here, uh, Chris and I were talking earlier about the SEC Big Twelve Challenge and some of those matchups. How different do you think scheduling is going to look for the Southeastern Conference in years to come, especially when Texas and Oklahoma become part of the league, whether it's sooner or, or you know when it's scheduled to here in just a couple seasons? Yeah, I thought they uh, that might add uh, uh, you know, a little bit more on the conference schedule and you know, push it back into you know, where we see games in December, earlier in December. Um, maybe that'll happen eventually. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I liked the idea of you know, going to some fun new places. It's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's a, it just makes it, you know, in every sport, a very difficult league, even, even more challenging. But just you know, from a fan standpoint, it'll be fun to, to go to some uh, new spots. And, you know, at uh, Kentucky, when it comes to the, the sport of men's basketball, Kentucky's Kentucky's Kentucky. They're going to uh, be there in the, in the mix at the top uh, year in and year out. Uh, but it just makes it harder. And 
you know, you see, you know, these, uh, these are two perennial NCAA teams that are coming into the league. It's not like you're bringing in teams that are, you know, strong in football, but not in basketball. I mean, sure. they're very strong in basketball too. Well, I, uh, I appreciate you joining us, man. I know it's a, it's a tough time. Like I said, Mike was, was like a brother to you and he was a friend to us all. Uh, we just wanted yeah, to pay a, a little go-to. tribute to him. He was a go-to media guy because, uh, you know, he had so much knowledge and he liked talking about it. Um, he enjoyed, you know, he, he had, Chris, I know you did the book on SEC basketball, uh, string music several years ago. And, uh, you know, Mike knew it was a, a league known best for its football, but he, uh, loved, you know, he, taught, he would always talk about how strong the league was when he was a player. Guys like, you know, Pistol Pete, Neil Walk down at Florida and uh, others. Yeah. And he was really excited about the SEC getting back uh, to uh, a higher level in basketball. What we're you're seeing now is the coaches that have come into this league and how strong the league is. And uh, he loved, uh, you know, I think he loved being around SEC basketball through this job with uh, the UK network about as much as he did play. <laughs> and he was a great player. People forget yeah. how good he was. Yeah, he was telling me for the, with the, during the uh, book, uh, and he 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 was recruited by LSU. He could have played with Pistol Pete. Um, wow! That he he was never going to LSU. He tell you what it t- had happened at, before Press Maravich, uh, LSU had hired a coach from uh, Ohio up in the Ohio area that had been recruiting Mike, and so I think maybe he was a Ohio State assistant, and so he was trying to recruit him to yeah. LSU. So Mike said he took his first plane trip down to LSU, and that was mainly the main reason he went to take a plane trip and, uh, and because as a favor to the coach, he had no interest in going, but uh, you know, he, he ended up playing with Dan Issel, but he could have played with pistol beat. Yeah. The, the shots would have been a little That's harder crazy. to come by if he'd played. Yeah, he more, I don't he think he did more than points. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, uh, certainly our condolences and sympathies on, on the death of Mike. Uh, really appreciate the time and hope to see you down Absolutely. the road uh, very soon. So uh, always really appreciate you joining us here for a few minutes. Happy to help out guys. Anytime. That was Tom Leach, voice of the Kentucky Wildcats, one of the great play-by-play announcers in all of sports, whether it's basketball or football. Uh, man, he does some horse racing. Uh, terrific uh, radio host as well. I've been on. I know you and I have both been on his show a number of times. But always uh, have fun when yep. Tom joins us here for a few minutes. Uh, Chris, one of the uh, notable retirements that's happened since we last spoke is Bob McKillop at Davidson. He was there for 33 seasons, took that program really to unprecedented levels. Uh, including Steph Curry's Elite Eight team back in 08. Uh, they made conference changes. Uh, they went to the Atlantic 10, where they also found success. Uh, Bob McKillop's son, Matt, will take over. He's been an assistant there for 14 years. Bob was head coach since 1989. 15 regular season championships that went to 10 NCAA tournaments, won seven Southern Conference Tournament championships, two Atlantic 10 regular season titles since they uh, joined that league in 2014. He was the A-10 coach of the year just last season. When they uh, won 127 games, 634 wins on his resume. So all the best to Bob McKillop, who uh, really a fantastic coach for a lot of years at Davidson. He probably had multiple opportunities to go other places, but uh, stayed there in Charlotte and did about as well as you could possibly do with that program. And, and known as one of the good guys and gentlemen in the game. Yeah, I got to know him a little bit. Uh, of course, I live in Chattanooga, and I would mainly cover the – SEC, but would cover some Southern Conference and got to know him early on. Um, he was a straight-laced, matter-of-fact guy, but uh, 
I, I would say that he probably didn't suffer fools well, but if you understood the game and knew what to ask him, he'd give you great answers. So, uh, you know, I, I guess it was set in stone that Matt McKillop, who both played and coached under his dad at Davidson, was going to take over, which that was a simultaneous announcement. I noticed a little residual damage from that, uh, if you could call it this, uh, Emery Lanier, uh, who is the son of SMU coach Rob Lanier, who's a good friend of mine, went into the portal. Uh, he had only averaged uh, a point and a half and uh, 0.7 boards and 0.5 assists. It's not like he played a ton. He was a highly regarded uh, high school prospect. Not quite good enough for Rick Barnes to have taken him at Tennessee. Even Rob told me that. But his uh, he's gone into the portal, and it'll be interesting to see if he joins his dad at SMU or, or whether that's too high a level for him as well. But I don't know. Uh, A-10, uh, American Athletic, not a ton of difference in those right. leagues. Uh, both focus on basketball. So it was interesting to see that. Should mention uh, NBA draft top seven players all from college basketball. Paulo Bancaro uh, went to Orlando, of course, the uh, Duke star. Chet Holmgren of Gonzaga, to Oklahoma City. Jabari Smith from Auburn to Houston. I, I think he's going to be a terrific NBA player. Saw him in person last year. A six ten dude with that jumper that that looks like that's going to play just fine in the league. Higgin Murray from Iowa to Sacramento. Uh, Produced Jaden Ivey went to Detroit. Benedict Mathrin uh, played at Arizona. Was really good there. I uh, went to the Indiana Pacers and Shaden Sharp, who never played a minute at Kentucky, uh, drafted seventh by the Portland Trailblazers. So uh, a few of the highlights there at the top. Chris, uh, anything stand out among that group? Well, I, I like Jabari Smith, too. Uh, somebody called him, compared him to Kevin Durant, and he's not nearly the rebounder KD was in college, but he's definitely got that sweet stroke at 6'10". So I think of that group, he has the best chance to be maybe a superstar. I do like Chet Holmgren at, at the Thunder, and you know they had a really good draft overall. There were some interesting things to me uh, – <clears throat> I started noticing this late in the process. Kennedy Chandler's uh, stock dropped, even though he was off the charts in the combine measurables. And I I don't know, I guess people got turned off by his size, but he ends up going, dropping into the second round. The Spurs take him and then trade him to Memphis, which is where he's from. Not going to get a ton of minutes playing behind Jaw, but they're going to be set at point guard for a while. No question about that. Yeah, certainly some uh, some interesting picks and uh, seeing where some players either rose or fell over the course of uh, the, the process that you know led to the draft last week. Uh, as we finish up our show this week, uh, of course, the Obi-Wan Kenobi Star Wars series also wrapped up. We always like to, to give folks our, our spoiler-filled recap, so uh, here we go. Episode <laughs> 6 was terrific, I thought. You had right away, they didn't take long to get right into an Obi-Wan-Darth Vader duel. Uh, Reva turned good in the end. She uh, held off on uh, taking out Luke Skywalker and ended up bringing him back to his family. Obi-Wan returned Leia to her parents and told her about her real parents from a certain point of view. Uh, he also connected with Qui- Qui-Gon Jinn at the end, his old uh, Jedi Master, and then went on to his uh, new home on Tatooine. So uh, there was a lot to uh, unpack in Episode 6. But overall, I-, I thought the six episodes of that series were really good. Uh, a lot of action, really well done. 
the Darth Vader storylines are fantastic. Uh, Reva was a good character, I thought, and uh, I thought they did a good job with it. Uh, your thoughts on the the Obi Wan series and the finale, especially? I agree with you, man. I, there, there's so many of these people, and I wonder if they're just a tad pretentious that uh, you know said it was slow moving or you know left them cold or you know had some kind of critique about it. But I, for me, as I'm more than a casual Star Wars fan, but I'm not a Star Wars junkie yeah, slash nerd. That, that's probably where uh, I am too. So I'm, so I'm, yeah, I'm sort of in that middle ground. And for me, it 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 answered a lot of questions. It it showed me exactly what I would have seen. Uh, I love that duel between Darth and Obi Wan on that godforsaken planet, and they weren't just doing it with the lightsabers either, man. They were like. Uh, uh, that Jedi st- uh, stuff where they're throwing boulders at each other. And that was some heavy duty stuff. Uh, but I liked how it ended. You know, uh, Leia was returned to her planet and, uh, you know, Obi and Leia would, would one day she would call on him again. He, yeah. He told her, if you need me again, uh, uh, I'll be around. So uh, he said farewell to his cave. And I don't know what he did. But the ending was great. Uh, he got to meet Luke, uh, which uh, Luke's adoptive father didn't want that. But finally, at the end, when when uh, uh, Obi-Wan was about to get on that slash uh, cross between a camel and an elephant to, to amble off, he said, do you want to meet Luke? And uh, the last words of the, of the series, maybe – or maybe they'll do a second, but he said, hello there, which hello there. of course Alec Guinness said, yeah, hello there. So uh, uh, I thought it was great. I, I think they're doing a terrific job. Um, uh, Disney just prints money anyway. Yes. When they hit on the idea of the, of the channel and these series, I'm a sucker for most of them. I've, I've loved Mandalorian and Boba Fett and now Obi-Wan. Uh, they're going to do others too. So, um, uh, I'm looking forward to them all. Chris, always a lot of fun. Uh, We'll catch up with you here in a couple weeks. Yeah, man. I'll see you literally in a couple of weeks. That's uh, right. July 14th. That's right. Yeah, I'm Mm -hmm. looking forward to that. The the enshrinement, the induction. So uh, it's going to be cool. Uh, Yeah, man. Yeah, I got my speech trimmed down to a lean seven minutes and 45 seconds. (laughs) Several several people told me, and, 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 you know, I don't think they were – implying that I was long-winded, but they were talking about some of the uh, induction ceremonies in the past where some folks might have got, when they started at fourth grade, right, and, and <laughs> you know, went to present day, it might have been a bit much, but uh, several people said, you know, keep that thing down and, and everything will be cool. And, and I, I was like, way ahead of you, man. I wrote this thing. <laughs> I, I, I timed it on my iphone and uh it's coming in lean at under eight minutes all right. so uh I, I think i can i can get that done got it right tight he's chris dorch i'm kevin ingram that is the blue ribbon college basketball podcast we'll talk to you next time